0: Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. Good morning. Man, looking good. I know we got a lot at a retreat this weekend, but uh, that's okay. We'll have fun without them. Amen? Yes. That's what we're here for. You look a little more chipper than we looked the first service. First service, I was like, "Mm." we're all like that. It's early. I mean, 8.30 can be kind of early. We can sing in the shower, but boy, singing in service. Yeah, it's a struggle. Boy, isn't it nice out, getting ready to change seasons in two weeks? Nice. Someone said, two weeks? Yes, it's deer season. Two weeks. Two weeks. But praise the Lord for the warmer or cooler cooler weather, but that's what I like about here. We have good seasons, you know, they're not like protracted like I lived in upstate New York, just east of Buffalo. Good night alive. We would have as much 180 inches of snow in one year. Now 120 inches is 10 feet. so you can imagine how much snow we used to get. So here's very temperate climate. We love it, it's beautiful. And like every season, it only lasts ninety days, and then it's the next season. So, anyways, all right. I'm in Acts chapter eleven. Going to be in Acts chapter eleven. All right? You say, "Oh, wait a minute, preacher. We've been in thirteen and been thirteen for a while. That's okay. We're going to back the bus up. I want to look at a few verses in chapter eleven where we're talking about Antioch. Now this this is where the inception. This is where Antioch was birthed." And then we're going to hit the first two verses, of chapter 13, as we see a uh, church that's now sending out even missionaries from their church. So, Father, we just ask your anointing and your blessing. Fill me by your Spirit, Lord, and just, just preach through me and preach to me, Lord. Help me as we just go through the Word of God that I would just be your mouthpiece. Hide me behind a cross. May people see Jesus. May we examine ourselves and may the Spirit of God just shine the light in areas of our lives where you're working and you want to work. And Lord, I thank you that you made a promise to us. And that promise was to conform us to the image of your dear Son. We thank you that you did not promise to make us like each other. You, made us a, you promised to make us like Jesus. So Lord, we thank you that he that began a good work in us will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And it is you that works in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So Father, work in our midst. Help us as a church here, as New Life. Help us to grow. Help us to be vibrant. Help us, Father, to reach our community and be all that you want us to be. Anoint your word now and just bless it. We thank you for it. And in Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. And Amen, Amen, and Hallelujah. Good good music today, good, good reminders, Jesus paying our price. So we come to Acts chapter 11. Remember, in chapter 11, the believers were in Jerusalem. That was the center of all Christianity at the time, even though they weren't called Christians at that time. And <clears throat> persecution came, namely started by Saul, but then others got in on it. And the persecution started driving uh, the church body out of Jerusalem. And God established a new launch pad, if you will, for Christianity. And the launch pad was going to be located 320 miles due north uh, in what we know today as uh, eastern Turkey. It's kind of southeast Turkey, a place called Antioch. Uh, It was a city that was like any other city of its day. It was a very pagan city. A lot of heathenistic belief system. A lot of... Uh, gods and demigods and all the Greek mythology and all that goes with that, as well as uh, Roman theology that then uh, took the place of the Greek theology. And so so you have an idea that it was a very, um, well, I say it was a very pagan city. So here these new believers are going up there. And when they got there, we're not reading the previous verses, but it said that they preached the word of God, to the Jews only, and they preach in the synagogues there. So they thought the gospel, the good news, was only for the Jews. So when they went up there, they went into the synagogues because they knew they people gathered there, and they just started preaching Jesus to them. And as a result, many of them got saved, many Jews got saved, uh, but also non-Jews, the Gentiles, got saved. So now as we pick it up in verse 22, it says, The news of these things... What things? all these people getting saved in Antioch. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That's right now the headquarters. And they sent out, that's our word apostle, sent out, one who was sent, sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Hey, go up to Antioch, see what's going on. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, I, I love that because it doesn't just say he heard the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. He saw how God was merciful to these people, how God gave to them the gospel, the good news, how God delivered them. But he didn't just hear it. He saw it in these lives. These who were once heathens and pagans and, and in the Greek mythology and Roman mythology, those who were Believing in all these different gods. Now they're believing in the one true and living God. And he could see it change their behavior. So he saw the undeserved grace of God. And as a result, he was glad. He was excited. And encouraged them. That's literally what his name means. Son of encouragement. And he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Again, I... They thought it interesting, the, the purpose of heart. It's an interesting word because it's not just determination. The word literally means the table of showbread. Like, what? What's this got anything to do with bread? It's like a totally disconnected uh, portion. It just stuck in there. But it's not. Barnabas says, no, be like the representative tribes of Israel of the tabernacle and then the temple. That was the first room, which then led to the Holy of Holies. So, but they, there was a presence in the holy place. He's saying, purpose in your heart to be in that holy place. Purpose in your heart to be in the presence of God. Purpose in your heart to be the table of showbread that shows God, Lord, I love you. As well as that bread was also a symbol, but it was also nourishment for the priests. It was a blessing to others. So I thought it was interesting that of all words he picked, and he picked that word, the idea of a table of showbread. Now, verse 24, speaking of Barnabas, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Man, if there's a sentence that could be said about you, a description, that'd be a great, great description right there. You guys, of course, you girls, you know, it's not good to say, she's a great man. No, she's a woe man, right? But she's a great woman. He's a great man. And they're full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He said, that's how Barnabas was. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And I love, every time you see the word great, it means mega. He was a mega man and mega people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember Antioch, up southeast Turkey. But you head towards central Turkey and you go up and over a little bit. And that's where you're going to find Barnabas, or excuse me, Saul. Saul was at Tarsus. So he takes his journey, about three-day journey there, gets Saul, brings him back. Why? Verse 26. And when they found him, they brought him to Antioch. So it was. Yeah, for a whole year. That, I mean, I love it. They're like, wow, that's awesome. Whole year they assembled with the called-out assembly. The church. They assembled with the called-out assembly. And what? taught. They taught a mega great many people. And the disciples, those who were following Jesus, were first called Christians in Antioch. If I were to ask you a question, how many Christians do we have here? Those who have accepted Christ raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm one of them. Well, isn't it amazing that that title that you have was given to you because it was first given to these guys. Before this time, when they were in Jerusalem, and and the church was through uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, when it was in Israel, it was known as the disciples or the way. Uh, They were not known as Christians, little Christ. But these people, their lives changed so much that all the people in the metropolis that they lived in, they started saying, you know, oh, you're one of those little Christ, aren't you? You're one of those little anointed ones, aren't you? Oh, you're one of those... Christians, followers of Christ. And it was such a label given to them and it was such a profound label that that label carries on all you know, thousands of years later. Here we are in 2016 and still we call ourselves by what they were called because they were disciples who were followers of Christ. So much so that they weren't just disciples but followers. And then I close in verse 27. And in these days Prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So, those who had, remember we've been going over the upward focus and the outward focus. Today we're going to be looking at the onward focus. But, he said these prophets, those who had the upward focus, came up uh, to Antioch to help the church there. Paul and Barnabas were teaching. Now he brings us the prophetic ministry and it will go on about that. Chapter 13. A couple of years have passed by now. Not not long, but it's a very fledgling church. But now we read this. Now in the church that was at Antioch, in this called-out assembly of people, there were certain prophets and teachers Now, here's the interesting part. You say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those prophets. They came from Jerusalem and they went up into Antioch. And they started proclaiming over the people prophetically what God has said to them. And what God claims in his word about them. But that's not the idea here. The idea is not that they were prophets who were transplanted from one place to another. But he said, but within the church itself in Antioch. There were those who were gifted with that upward look, that, that upward focus. And they started learning and they started proclaiming the word of God over people. And so this was part of their DNA now. Not simply a transplant from elsewhere. And the same with teachers. There were prophets and teachers. Now there were some in the church who were now becoming teachers. Now obviously Barnabas, he was there and came up. But now we're introduced to Simeon who is also called Niger. We're also introduced to Lucius of Cyrene, northern Africa. He was one of the prophet's teachers there. And Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he used to work for the royalty, and now he's working for the king of kings. And he's there one of the teachers and prophets. And Saul, who we also met. So Barnabas and Saul kind of bookend all these other guys in the church that are busy and active in their assembly. And as they, collectively, ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. So he's now speaking to the church about two guys named Barnabas and Saul. And he tells the church body "Then these leaders, Separate these two for me. So they, the work that I've called them. So that tells me God's not just talking through Barnabas and just talking through Saul. He's not, no, he's talking to the church at Antioch. These new believers, and, and they're only a few years old. And yet here they're working in the teaching ministry. Here they're working in the prophetic. Here they're working in such a way that they have an upward focus with God that they hear God when he speaks. And they follow God when he leads. And they worshiped God when they assembled. You see, they, they collectively have been maturing to a point where they are now taking the reins of ministry. And they are leading them. Now, as we consider New Life, our journey together, and like I said, this is the four parts. we covered two, and this is the third. This is really what, what I'm wanting us to embrace and to get an understanding. Characteristics of a vibrant church. What are these characteristics? We know the components. We knew that, that. The components are God and people using their gifts. Those are the two components, the two ingredients that make a church. Now, no God, then it's just a social club. Right? If it's, if it's just people and God's not there, God doesn't show up, we're, we're wasting our time. If it's just God and no people then the ministry doesn't get accomplished. The Word does not spread. Churches do not get planted. People do not get saved. And so you have to have two both independent, or both codependent components, God and people, using their spiritual gifts. Now, when we consider our journey together, we consider the four aspects. I kind of put them in a circle there. and And... We saw the first two weeks ago, we focused on prayer saturation. And it it should be in... There we go. Prayer saturation. I'm not going to go into all this. But remember, it's more than just prayer. Prayer is our communication to God and God's communication to us. It's having a relationship. I use prayer because it's talking about communication. It's communicating with God and God communicating with us. And so this church... Was pattern. You, you look always back at a tabernacle. God was in the center, and out of the nation of Israel, God boiled it down to a tribe of Levi, and then God boiled it down to a family of Aaron, and then the sons of Aaron became the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. So they had the whole nation. The whole nation was responsible to worship God. The whole nation was responsible to pray to God. The whole nation was responsible to sacrifice to God. But there was a group within the group that led the entire group and helped them with their upward focus. Prayer saturation. Secondly, we looked at gospel communication last week. Anyone remember last week? Yeah, last week. I know they say, you learn something new every day. I do. I learn something new every day. The problem is I forget five things. I got to get ahead of that, you know? Gospel communication. And and what we talked about here is that as a church body, we need to look at them and say, wait a minute, they they didn't just have an inward focus, they had an outward focus. We need to be careful that we are not preoccupied with the inward to the point where we miss the outward and forget about the outward. 90% of churches today that you find that are inward focused do not go beyond the, their own members or their own walls. Everything they do, every ministry they have, every, every thrust and even the things in their budget reflected, everything is about in here, inside the nest. The holy huddle, the us for no more, however you want to put it, you know. And they had to redirect from a preoccupation with inside to say, you know what, we need to start looking outside. Last week, we covered that. This week, we moved from gospel communication to spiritual maturation, spiritual maturity. And when we think of spiritual maturity, I think of Hebrew. As a matter of fact, I call it the onward focus. The reason I call it the onward focus or spiritual maturity, spiritual maturation, is because in Hebrews 6 and in verse 1, we will read the phrase, Let us go on to perfection. Or let us press on to, literally, maturity. Now, it's interesting that that word there, and that phraseology, if you will, it's action. And it's also a decision. It's choice. Let us. When you see let us there, that's not a Christian salad. That is a choice. Let us do this. You need to make a choice, Tim. So when it comes to a spiritual maturity, it begins with a choice. As well as a calling. He's calling them, come on. Let us do something. What do you want us to do? Let us go on. It's the idea that you're not satisfied with where you are at spiritually. And you say, I have to move on or I'm just going to be stagnant and stale. And so there's a choice to now start moving forward. But where are you moving on to? Where are you moving forward to? Perfection or it's literally the word maturity. Moving on towards maturity. It's it's a decision to say, you know what? I'm tired of being immature. I'm tired of being a baby Christian. I'm tired of not understanding the meat of the word and only needing the milk of the word. It was a decision to say, you know what? I am going to move on. I am going to grow in my spiritual life. I want to mature. I want to mature. Webster defines maturity if you will, as... Oh, did I have Webster's definition here? Yes, thank you. Fully developed in terms of physical appearance, behavior, thinking, and emotions. In other words, when someone else takes a bigger piece of cake than you got, you don't cry about it. Amen? They say, Really? All right, you think about it, but you leave the room before you do. You can have a physical appearance of maturity. You look and say, I, I, I am mature. I would think I'm mature. Physically, I'm mature. Amen? Emotionally, I may not always be. Behavior-wise, I'm not always. My wife said, you think that was a little juvenile? Well, you talk about cutting to the chase. Hey, I was a class clown in school. I got to carry this on. You know, you just, you don't just drop those things. You got to get amen in the background. However, someone once said, you're only young once, but you can be immature the rest of your life. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) Have you ever met someone that physically and (laughs) appearance-wise, they're mature? And maybe intellectually-wise, they're mature, uh, but maybe emotionally-wise, they're immature. And then they're pouting, and they're upset, and, and, and they, they, they have their little temper tantrums. And, and I know you've met these people in other churches. I've been that way before. You know what? I think all of us have our times where we may act a little immature about something, Right? The thing is, just not to camp out there, not to stay there longer than we ought to. What's interesting, that when it comes to the Webster's Dictionary, physical appearance, behavior, thinking, emotions, it kind of limits it. What's interesting, there in Hebrew, or in Hebrews, the Greek word, teleo, tele, teleo, whatever it is, you can see it, it's right in the middle, you can read it, you can pronounce it. By the way, it's interesting. It means moral and spiritual completeness. And when it says complete, it means complete, totally complete. This is a derivative of the word tetelestai. Tetelestai is what Jesus said when he was on the cross. And the the father turned his back. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, it is tetelestai. It is finished literally paid in full there's not one more cent to be paid everything's paid same word and so when it comes to this word maturity he says i want you to be morally and spiritually mature and interesting that you know the difference in the in the definition is the one included behavior but the second one god's definition includes Moral behavior. Moral and spiritual completeness. In other words, we fully behave like the age that we are. And we behave morally according to the Word of God and, and, and the ethical teachings throughout the Word of God. So we say, are we behaving morally? You see, you could, you could behave mature in your thinking and your physical and even in your emotions, but that doesn't mean you're morally being mature. You may be immature and being immoral. And he then says, "spiritually mature." You know, I can I can relate to my body growing up, and even growing out. <laughs> I can relate to growing physically. But it's interesting to try to think: of What does it mean to grow spiritually? To go grow from the inside. To grow, you know. My spirit is growing and maturing and the the components that were missing are now being put in place and I'm becoming more complete than I was before. And that's the whole part of maturity. It's not that, oh, I hit it. Oh, great, I'm mature. No, you are now more mature than you were the day before, the week before. And that's growing in maturity. Now, the problem is when it comes to today and what the Christian soldier looks like, it's more like this. Doesn't look like he's dressed for battle, does it? He's got a little passy. He's got a little uh, apron. Now, the older I get, the more I like using those things. We tuck it in, especially if I'm driving, you know. Put it behind a seatbelt. Those seatbelts are great for that. If you can act right there. It's like, this is Awesome. But today, more and more, when it comes to spiritual maturity and being soldiers of the cross, uh, more people resemble that than they do resemble this. To put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the deceitfulness of the devil. You look and you wonder why so many Christians, and remember, other churches, other states, why they're always getting beat up by the devil. And the devil's always beating them down. And the devil's always on their back. And all these things are coming at them. And, and it's almost like they i like I'm having a spiritual temper tantrum sometimes. Why is this always happening to me? And my question is, why is it that the devil's always beating us up? How come we're not beating him up? Right? Well, we don't have this armor on for, for a glamour show. He says, no, you put the armor on. So that, so that you are ready for battle. And you're ready to get out there and do battle with the, with the evil one. And you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says, you know, it's, it's one thing to dress like this. But if the enemy comes at you and you have no offensive weapon, all you could do is the whole matrix thing and dodge. Right? But he says, no, you got to know the Word of God because you're going to have to wield it and protect yourself against the devil when he comes at you. Just like Jesus did And the temptations in the wilderness. Every time the devil came at him, he drew the sword and thus saith the Lord. And he defeated the devil every time. I'm afraid when it comes to spiritual maturity that the Church of America today resembles more of the guy on the left than it does the guy on the right. Well, the thing is, what does spiritual maturity look like? We know we're called to spiritual maturity. It's hard and it's a very broad subject to define. Okay, here's spiritual maturity because maturity is moving. It's not static, it's growing. Immaturity is static. It is not growing. It is in the same rut that it was in before. It is not expanding in its... And its maturity is in one place. So it's easier for us to define something that is static. And then see the contrast is that which is not static, maturity. Are you with me on this? So I said, okay, what does spiritual immaturity look like? Since that's very static and very easy to define. Well, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm glad I didn't go to the church at Corinth. Because... If I was a church member at Corinth, my church would be written about and stuck in a word of God that would be there forever. You'd say, oh, yeah, I went there, but that was after that fact. <laughs> you get in heaven, hey, where are you? Oh, I was saved when Paul went through on his missionary journey. Oh, that's all. Awesome. Oh, are you the guy? Oh, that, matter of fact, there's even names of people in here. Man, I wouldn't want my name put in the word of God for all eternity. They <laughs> look, as like, well, it is, Timothy, but... You want to say, oh, there's a couple ladies who are fighting with each other, and he actually names their names. Boy, talk about non politically correct. All right, let's read it, shall we? Let's go. Verse 1. And I, brethren and sisters, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal and to. Babes in Christ. Well, that's not very nice to say that. can't talk to you like mature people. i got to talk to you like a little baby. Now, the word cardinal, by the way, it's not a bird. The word, it's not even spelled again. The word cardinal is the word meat, flesh. Jesus came to earth. He was incarnate. He became in the flesh incarnate, not incognito, incarnate, in the flesh, right? October 2nd, two weeks from today, mark your calendars, 10 o'clock service, one service. We've got, remember, Celebration Sunday, we pull together once a quarter. Man, you don't want to miss the 2nd of October, because at the 2nd of October, there's going to be a chili cook-off, yeah? Yeah? I was told to announce it. I almost forgot. So now I'm announcing it. <laughs> chili cook-off. And, and most importantly, a pie cook-off. Chocolate pie cook-off. At the chili cook-off, there will be chili that's going to have some meat in it. And it's going to be called chili with con carne. See, you guys already knew this stuff. Chili with meat. Chili con carne, with meat. Paul says, I want to talk to you as spiritually mature people, but I can't talk at that level. I have to talk to you on the, the meat level, the flesh level, the worldly level. And he goes on and he tells them in verse 2, I fed you with meat with milk. When I was there and you were an infant little baby Christian, I picked you up I stuck the bottle in there and I fed you with milk. And not with solid food, by the way, it's the same word, meat. So Christian vegetarians spiritually do not exist. (laughs) We must be spiritual carnivores. (laughs) Anyways, oh, I love the Word of God. I fed you with milk and not meat. Why? For until now, you were not able to receive it. You had a digestion problem. You could not digest this spiritual meat. And even now, you are still not able for <laughs> it. He goes, when you were a babe in Christ, I got the bottle, I fed you the milk of the Word, you could digest it because you weren't ready for meat. And now the problem is, you're still not ready for meat, and I still got to plug the bottle back in you. You are still, verse 3, carnal. Four, there's a reason, where there is envy, strife, and division among you, Are you not cardinal and behaving like mere men? In other words, you're behaving like those who are not saved. So when I look at 1 Corinthians, I notice, first of all, he labels them babes in Christ. So immaturity starts with babes. We can understand that. A baby, when he is born, is not being immature. A five-year-old that acts like a five-year-old is not being immature. He's being mature for his age, right? Now, when you got a 20-year-old acting like a 5-year-old, then we got a problem, right? If you got a teenager acting like a 5-year-old, then you got common reality. Right? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But, but the thing is, they were babes in Christ, and as babes, they had a problem. They were underdeveloped in their communication skills. He says, I want to talk to you in a spiritual level that is a solid food, but you can't digest it. So I'm going to have to bring it down and feed you the, the milk of the word. You have a communication issue here. you wanted to talk to them on an adult level, but they couldn't communicate on that level because they didn't have the understanding at that level. Listen, you can only communicate within the boundaries of your understanding. Let me say it again. You can only communicate within the boundaries of your understanding. If I were to talk to an engineer, and he wanted to talk engineer talk, I can only talk within the boundaries of my limitation when it comes to engineering. And I probably can't even spell it correctly. So I'm limited to my knowledge of engineering. If I'm talking to a doctor, I can only talk in the limits of my knowledge of engineering of the physician or or health. The doctor may have this knowledge, but I may only have this knowledge. He's saying to these believers, he says, you know what? I want to talk to you on this level. But the knowledge of your understanding is only at this level. I have to talk to you like babes in Christ. I have to use baby talk. I have to talk like I'm talking to toddlers. Aren't you glad we're talking about another church? Baby talk, the ABCs, simple statements. You know that when you're when you're talking to kids, you talk with simple statements. Don't touch. Come here a minute. Um, Stop acting like that. How about this one? I always used to say hand me that right now. <laughs> How they got it, you have no idea, but they got it. Stop hitting your brother. Or sister. Be nice to one another. And you know, I grew up with, uh, there was four boys and one girl. She was the oldest, so she could beat us all up. But the four boys, mom mia. There were, I think there's a reason why my dad bought a Country Squire station wagon. Uh, for those who don't know what they are, they're a really long vehicle. And they have some really cool seats in the back that open up. And when we were young, he put two of us always back there and two of us in the middle seat. And the ones who were in the middle seat were usually the ones that were in trouble or fighting at the time because they had to be within arm's reach. So he could just massage them. Some good kids. And the ones who were always in the back would hear comments like, don't make me pull this car over. And you were fine until you heard a turn signal. And then you were an angel. You see, communication... When you're talking to toddlers, it has to be very simple, very direct, do this. And, you know, there are some churches that say, J- I just want to know what to do. Tell me to do this, do that, do this, do this. How long should my hair be? You know, what kind of clothes should I wear? Where should I go? Where should I not go? Just tell me what to do. Keep it simple, and I'll do that. And they walk in spiritual maturity, immaturity. We also see that they were underdeveloped in their dietary requirements. I touched a little on this. They were still on the milk. And Paul wanted to talk about the meat. We want to talk about something with substance. There's some churches that never seem to get beyond the gospel. Praise God for the gospel. Amen. We wouldn't be here without the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you look at the tabernacle and how it's laid out, the first thing you do is you come to the altar of sacrifice, and sacrifice is made. But you don't stay there. You then move on to the laver and the basin and you wash. And then you move into the holy place and you start seeing the lampstand and the table showbread and, and the, the uh, altar of incense and you're, you start learning the symbolic meanings of these things. And then you move into the holy of holies and then a mercy seat of God where, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Ten Commandments and Moses Rod and etc. He said, so it's not just hanging out at the front altar where Jesus died for us. Praise God for that. But he's like, no, it doesn't stop here. Keep moving, man. Keep growing in your spiritual life. He says to this church, he says, man, you guys are malnourished. You're on a liquid diet. And you need solids. And you become anemic. You're unhealthy. I used to work a dairy farm. Yay, farmers. Smell cows. And I I worked the uh, 4 in the morning to 8 in the morning shift. And then after milk cows, I took care of the calves. And we had a number of calves. And uh, we also produced, uh, la, 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 veal. Okay, we'll leave it at that. We'll get too graphic. And so when I take care of the calves, their diet was not consistent of corn and grain and things of that nature. It was strictly a liquid diet. They kept them on a liquid diet. However, the liquid diet also, they became very anemic. And because they were anemic, they had to have good ventilation. You had to be very careful that disease did not get in there. And you could not have just one door into the barn because if the wind blew in and brought anything in, it could kill the calves very quickly. And so they would have a couple doors away to get in. So now you know all about veal and probably would not eat it any longer. When I think of what Paul's saying here to them, he says, you're on a liquid diet and you're not healthy. And you need to move on to solid food. And when I think of the scripture, especially in Ephesians 4, I realize that it's our job as pastors and teachers, it's our job to prevent disease. And the way we prevent disease is to provide for the church a proper diet. Amen? That's why I call my office the kitchen. I'm getting the meals ready for the sheep. We've got to go in there and get the meal ready. And by the way, I'm one of the sheep, so I don't think I'm any higher I'm one of the sheep. But we have to have a proper diet. We have to be able to to handle the milk of the Word, to handle the meat of the Word. We have to be able to to move on in our spiritual growth. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, many go there and say, well, here's the fivefold ministry of the church. Um, But this is what it says. And he himself, meaning the Lord, gave some to be apostles. Remember Barnabas, sent one. Some prophets, remember those who had the upward look. Some evangelists, those who had the outward look. Some pastors, literally shepherds, the lead. And teachers, some look at his pastor, teacher, one thing. But the question is, why did he give them? Well, the answer is threefold in verse 12. For... The reason of equipping the saints for the ministry. So, for equipping the saints, to equip you and I. We're here, leadership here, the pastors here, teachers here, other teachers here, are here to equip the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Not just in, but out. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. To build it up. Verse 13. How long? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, these people already know the Son of God. They're already saved. They're already born again. But he said, no, there is a growth. There is learning to know about Jesus and learning about faith. And it says, to a perfect man. I love the cartoon. It's got a lady, skeleton lady, sitting on a bench holding the purse. It says, waiting for the perfect man. <laughs> you saying it. But the goal is to a perfect man, remember, complete, to the measurement of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measurement. He measures us. And he comes over and he measures Tim. And he says, Tim, your girth is bigger than your height used to be. <laughs> but he doesn't measure me and then come over and measure me to Dave and, say, and compare the two. No, he measures us and then he measures us to Jesus. And he said, Well, here's Jesus' measurements. Uh, Tim, you're lacking in these measurements. We've got to work on you. So praise the Lord that he's not conforming you into the image of Tim. Well, I thought I'd get a lot more amens than that. <laughs> and he's not conforming me into the image of you. He's conforming us into the image of his dear son. Amen, yeah. Oh, yeah, amen. That was more like an oh-no than an amen. He said, I want you to look like Jesus. I want to conform you to His image, and, 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 and I want you to grow. And he says, here's why. Verse 14. That we should no longer be what? Children. He said, he's doing it so, that he's doing it so we won't be toddlers anymore. Tossed to and fro, and carried with every wind of doctrine. Interesting. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So the world is out to get you. And just because everyone's out to get you doesn't mean you're paranoid. But speaking the truth in love. Have we ever heard that before? We always know that part. Speaking the truth in love, but it goes on. May grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So he says... The the body of Christ, those in in, uh, teaching and pastoring and apostles and evangelists and the upward look and the outward look and, and the onward look. He said all this is to mature us, to get us to grow and be more like Jesus. But the church here at Corinth, they had a problem. They had a problem with their dietary consumption. And then they had a problem with their behavioral conduct. Kind of wondered, is is that redundant behavioral conduct? I'm not sure. I was thinking about it earlier. It was really bothering me this morning, but I'm not gonna let it get to me. Could it just be behavioral? Behavioral conduct. Could just be conduct. They had a problem with it. You say, well, what was the problem? Well he said they have three problems. They were acting like toddlers. Well, how were they acting like toddlers? Well, they were being envious of each other. What's the difference between envy and jealousy? I'm glad you asked. Envy is when I wish I were you. Jealous is when I wish I have what you have. All right, that's jealousy. Jealousy is I want what you have. Envy is I wish I were who you are. And sometimes as Christians, we look around and say, man, I'm not as spiritual as that person, or I look at this person, and I wish I were them. Man, they're getting all the blessings. Man, everything goes right in their life. Everything goes wrong in my life. I wish I was that person. And we start comparing ourselves with ourselves and gauging ourselves by ourselves, the Scripture will say. And we have to learn to be content in our own skin and say, you know what? I am exactly who God made me to be. And I have a purpose. And I was divinely created. You know, do you realize that you are custom created? You are created to live in this day and age. People say, well, I wish I was around 100 years ago, 200 years ago. You wouldn't have made it back then. And you will not make it 100 years from now or 200 years from now. You are made right now. Perfect custom design for now. He says, so don't don't envy. Don't be like the toddler that wants what everyone else wants and be who everyone else is. And he goes, another thing, toddlers have strife. They fight with each other. It means bicker. It literally means to bicker and fight over. You ever heard any kids, when you were children, did you ever bicker or fight? If you have siblings? Now, if you're an only child, that's a little harder, I understand. But it can be done. I've done it. (laughs) And he said, then there's division. Do toddlers divide? Yeah. I'm not going to play with you anymore. You're not my friend. Man, there's some churches in those other states. If someone gets their nose bent over one little thing, and they're, I'm not going to that church anymore. Man, I was really burned at church one day. Well, it's all right. Burned biscuits can still keep going, right? You just keep going. You know what? Every one of us have been burned in some way or another. And every one of us has burned somebody else in some way or another. Right? So we need to man up and grow up and say, you know what? Life goes on. And I'm not going to be like the the toddlers here in Corinth. Now, all right, we got to giddy up. Let's fast forward this thing. Let's look at the other example in Hebrews. Hebrews, chapter 5. We're just going to wrap it up with this. But Oh, by the way, the church of Corinth, you know how old they were as believers? Four years old. When this letter was written, the church had been in existence approximately four years. Paul's second missionary journey. And so he's talking to believers that were four years old in the Lord. And he's like, They're acting like babes. Now Israel, on the other half, was thousands of years old. He writes to the Hebrews in chapter 5. And by the way, have you ever heard the fact that we have a great high priest who is passed into the heavenlies? And we have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? He says, don't we have a high priest who went through the same thing we went through? Have you ever heard of Jesus as your high priest? Yeah. But do you realize that under the Jewish law, he didn't qualify to be a high priest? Only the descendants of Aaron could be a high priest. And Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. What tribe was Jesus from? Judah. That only Now, if you're going to be a king, you had to be from the tribe of Judah. If you were not from the tribe of Judah, you could not be a king. But if you were from the tribe of Levi, you could be a high priest. But if you're Judah, you could not be a high priest. Under the order of Aaron. Right? Levi and Aaron... Aaron's sons. Now, Aaron became a high priest, says, because God called him a high priest. He says, Okay, you're the high priest. What made you the high priest, God? Okay. You win. Aaron's the high priest. And then God says, and your descendants are going to do this. And here's all the regulations. I'll even call it the book of Leviticus for Levites. And he goes, and and here's the commandments. Here's the covenant I'm going to make with you. It's called the Mosaic covenant. And I need two guys. Okay, David Noah, come on up. Thanks. We need you need visuals on this. No? no, you could. No, no, I want to come here. I want to get a good look at you. All right. Nice. My bodyguards. This is Aaron. This is Jesus. All right. Now, I brought you up a little prematurely. I'm going to read the scripture first, so just watch the screen. Here's what it says, verse 9. In having been perfected, meaning Jesus, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey. Now, people say, do you believe in eternal security? I said, well, the biblical term is not eternal security. The biblical term is eternal salvation. Now you say, oh yeah, but only for those who obey. Yes, but not obey the Ten Commandments under love, law of Aaron. He says, but obey the perfect law of liberty. And he says, what are the works that I should work to inherit eternal life? He said, these are the works that you believe on Him who sent me. So you follow me? Those who obey how? Through belief, not through behavior. So I believe in eternal salvation. Now, called by God to be a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek not the order of Aaron, of whom we have much to say, ouch, and hard to explain, I know, hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. They're not deaf. He says, you Hebrews, you just, you don't want to hear, you got your fingers in there, and you say, I don't want to hear this. For, though by the time, by this time, in other words, the time frame has gone by, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again, The first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, the spiritual ABCs. Israel, you've been around long enough. You should be a teacher. But now we've got to go over the ABCs again. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Sounds familiar. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a what? A babe, a toddler. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, mature. That is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By reason of use. In other words, if God teaches you something and you don't use it, you will lose it. How many have learned a second language and now you're like, oh boy, I can't hardly. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, When I was in Slovakia, boy, in in Hungary, I could speak the Hungarian to a point, but now it's been a year away. I'm like, oh boy, I can't remember. That means, how are you? That's about it. But you use it or you lose it. Now, here's what he's saying. There's a priesthood of Aaron, and there were a covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and there were priests that were uh, his descendants who became the high priest. He says, but you are not of the priesthood of Aaron. You are the priesthood of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king of Salem. In the book of Genesis, Abraham goes to battle. He beats up the kings. He takes the spoil. He goes back down to Israel from the north heading south. He meets a king of Salem, Jerusalem, the king of peace, in the Kidron Valley. I was on the Mount of Olives last year. Here's the valley and there's the temple. Coming right there, right on the east side of the temple, he meets Melchizedek who was a high priest, who was the king of Salem. He pays tithes, one-tenth of all the spoils to Melchizedek. And you say, well, wait, I thought tithing was under the law of Moses. No, nope, that's 400 years later, and tithing was way before the law of Moses. But he worshipped and Melchizedek's feet. Melchizedek was a type of Christ, a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. All right? A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Melchizedek meets Abraham. Now, Jesus is called Melchizedek, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. Was Melchizedek a priest? Yes. Was Melchizedek a king? Yes. Jesus is did not come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah, the king's tribe. If I say to you, are you a priest? You say, yes. Scripture says I am a royal priesthood. Well, wait a minute. Royalty doesn't come through Levi. Royalty comes through through Judah. So when you are connected to Christ through faith in Christ, you become a priest under Jesus, under the royal tribe of Judah, and you are a royal priesthood. You follow me on this? A lot of people are over here trying to live under a Mosaic covenant, but they're, they're under a new covenant over here, which is a, the law of liberty. And there's two laws under that law of liberty, Galatians tells us. And that's right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and the seconds like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. They don't get you into heaven, but that's how you're to behave yourself. Are you with me? So that's what I'm saying. So many Christians are over here all wrapped up and worried about keeping the law. And by the way, did you notice the law were very short statements? I shall not kill. I shall not lie. I shall not commit adultery. I shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. Very toddler statements. Very short statements. But the law of liberty is very broad. Love God. Love people. You're mature now. You should have a different behavior in how what motivates your behavior? Not simple statements and commands, but a law that loves God and shows shows your love for God. These guys do a good job. Give it up. All right, all right. Thanks, Lord. Oh, hey, just but all I had to do is standard. Didn't even have to sing. When my children were, oh yeah, I guess let's, let's buzz through there. Let's look. Through, the, the problem with the church there, that they would speak to in Hebrews. Poor listening skills, again. Irresponsibility. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Lacking knowledge. Willful lack of knowledge. It was available to them, but they didn't want to go to the Bible study. I don't want to go there. Hey, Barnabas and Paul are teaching today. "Ah, I don't want I don't have time for that. I got to mow the yard. I got other things I got to do. Willful lack of knowledge. Unskilled in the word of God. Unskilled in the word of God. Wow. I wonder how many Christians in those other churches could explain the difference between the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedekian priesthood. And yet Paul's saying, You guys don't even know these. I gotta teach the ABCs and you know, I'd be like, oh, shrinking down. You know, so it's one of those times like when the preachers you always think the preachers pointing at you, you know? I was in a service, it's like the preachers pointing You're like, like he pointed at me through the whole service. No, he didn't. He was just talked everyone. Man, I look at this and he says, he says, you you don't even know the difference between Melchizedek, why you're royal priest and why you're not under the priestly tribe of Aaron. Man, I look at that and I say, wow, where is the Church of America today? Where am I at today? And spiritual maturity is just is not just intellectual knowledge of the Word of God. It's knowing the God of the Word and being able to walk in the Spirit. And that's why it's our desire here to start making one of these our focus. Just like our prayer saturation and our upward focus, we're also making outward focus, getting back to not just being preoccupied inside, but also the outside and the spiritual maturation. Teaching, intentional discipleship. And we're going to start teaching the Word of God. Amen? You say, well, I thought that's what you do on Sunday. Yeah, well... You can't get by on one meal a week. Amen? And there's going to come a time where just like my kids, when they were kids, they spoon, spoon fed them. But when they got older, they had to feed themselves. What? Come on, dad, I'm 17. Can't you just feed me? <laughs> then it comes that great and happy day where they got to buy their own groceries. I think, I think the Lord rejoices as we mature. And we start taking care of ourselves, not independent, but dependent on the Lord, but being mature in our spiritual lives, knowing the Word of God. You know, I had a call from a gentleman yesterday. He's not even a year in the Lord, and um, he lives up in Fort Wayne. He came down last year, led him to Christ, saved, excited. He's doing a Bible study. And he, right now he's, it says, this is a pretty intense Bible study he's doing. And he's learning about the books of the Bible and in the Bible and how it came together. And uh, he goes, okay, I got a couple of big words here I can't pronounce. I'll spell them and you tell me what they are. And and the first was Apocrypha. And so the Apocrypha books, you say, what are these books? And uh, what is Pseudopigrapha? And the Pseudopigrapha means false writings. And And so I'm like, what are you studying? <laughs> he goes, I'm, I'm trying to learn about the Bible, how it all came together. And, and I'm learning about historical books and political books and, 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 and prophetic books and and, all, and books that were added by other groups and, and what pseudepigrapha meant and, 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 uh, and all these different things about the Bible. And I'm sitting there going, and man, you're only like six months in the Lord. That's awesome. Amen. He's got an appetite. He says, man, I got to move beyond the milk, man. Get this bottle out of me. Give me a big old steak. And boy, he's just tearing into it. He's growing. He goes, I might not know much now. He said, but a year from now, I hope to know more than I know right now. I said, wow, that's maturity, isn't it? Knowing more tomorrow than you know today. And it's not just knowledge, like I said, but it's growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyways, Father, help me to be spiritually mature. Help me to act more like Jesus and less like myself because every time I act like myself, I'm acting immature. So help me to act more like Jesus. Help me to talk more like Jesus. Help me to think more like Jesus because every time I think like I think, I'm acting immature. Help me to love people more like Jesus. Help me, Father, to realize who I am in Christ and help me not to be content with that static existence of a babe in Christ but help me to move and grow in the grace undeserved favor of yours and the knowledge of your dear son work in our midst today Father if there's anyone here that has not been saved yet they're not born again if they were to die today they're not 100% sure they'd go to heaven Speak to them, whether here or listening over the internet, speak to them. May this day be a day of decision for them where they stop trying to earn their way to heaven and just ask Christ to save them and forgive them. Work in the lives of those who aren't saved. Work in the lives of those of us who are saved. Grow us. Grow us, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we close. Maybe God's speaking to you today. Maybe you haven't been saved yet. Great day to get saved. know you have eternal life. The ministry team's going to come. They're, they're going to be here to pray for you. I want to ask you, where where are you at? Where are you at in your spiritual walk? you in that rut? Or you got to say, you know what? I need to grow. I need to grow. Let us pray for you. You need healing? Let us pray for your healing. Whatever it is, you come.